Thanks, Sarah. Morning, everyone. I'm glad we read 1 Corinthians, because if we read 2, you'd be in for a very different sermon this morning. Uh, Before I begin, uh, I want to recommend to you this book. Uh, I'm giving this copy away for free. This is a fantastic book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Um, I read it a long time ago, and I thought it was fantastic, so I lent it to a friend, and it's like, you should read this too, and they thought it was so fantastic that they never gave it back to me. So that's how good it is. It's, it's good enough to steal. Um, it covers a whole range of topics. Uh, this one's free, so don't worry. You don't have to steal this one. You can just come and get it. Uh, the secret of marriage, the power of marriage, the essence of marriage, the mission of marriage. If you're not already on board, I don't know what else will do it. Um, uh, the stuff we're talking about today, uh, sex and marriage, he has a chapter on that, and it's fantastic. So I highly recommend it. It's just going to be on the pew here. Feel free to come and grab it. If you come and grab it and you miss out and you're like the second person or the third person, come and let me know and we'll see if we can get you another copy yourself. So grab that one. Small dents in the book now. Sorry about that. Uh, This morning we we are talking about uh, sex. Uh, Sex in the context of marriage. Last week we spoke about uh, how God hasn't designed sex, sexual morality, things like that. Now we're talking about the way God has designed sex. And, and I know it can feel a bit uncomfortable to talk about these things in church. What, what does the Bible, God, church have anything to do with my bedroom? But remember last week, if you were here last week, how we spoke about honour God with your bodies. Your bodies were made by God. The purpose of them is to honour God with your bodies. And that includes what we do in the bedroom. So the Bible actually has a a lot to say about sex and marriage, and that's why we're taking the time to talk about it today. Uh, There's a lot in this passage which uh, will raise questions that I just won't have time to get to. If I got to them all, we'd be here all day, so I'm sorry about that. If what I say today or what I don't cover today raises questions for you, feel free to shoot me an email, tim at marsfieldcc.org.au. Um, or you can join us for the rest of the series over the next few weeks, um, and maybe some of your questions will be answered then. With those things out of the way, how about I pray, and we'll jump into it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you have shown us that our bodies were built for you, that you have made our bodies to glorify you. And so I pray today, as we look at how we might use our bodies in the context of sex and marriage, you would reveal to us the goodness of your design, you would show us uh, the gospel through that and you would motivate us to glorify you with our bodies. Amen. All right, let me set the scene. A different scene to 1 Corinthians 7. Rose is a 17-year-old lady. She comes from an aristocratic family and she is set to be married. But before her marriage, she boards a ship And on the ship, on her cruise, she meets a young man, Jack Dawson, an artist, and falls in love with him. Do you guys know what movie I'm talking about? Titanic, yeah, Titanic. Now, spoilers, if you've never seen the movie Titanic or heard of the Titanic, it doesn't end well, all right? They hit an iceberg, ship sinks, most people die. It's a tragic story, but the movie is really a love story. It's a tragic love story, but it's a love story. Rose and Jack's love is short-lived. Jack dies. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this one for you, but it did sink about 100 years ago. Their love's short-lived, but it is passionate. There's this passion in their relationship. 
And that's what makes the tragedy so much worse. It's not that there was just a, a new kindling relationship. They're trying to, you know, suss out whether, you know, is Jack an alright guy? Is Rose an alright girl? No, no. They were passionate together. Now, towards the end of the movie, after the sinking, after Jack dies, Rose is reflecting back on her love with Jack. And she says something interesting about him. She says this as an old lady who has now been married, had kids, had grandkids, her grandkids have grown up. She's reflecting to them about her very first love, Jack. And she says this, He saved me in every way a person can be saved. He saved me in every way a person can be saved. Now, I think as she says this, she's, she's reflecting on a bunch of things, but in particular in mind is the passion that was ignited by her physical relationship with Jack. And I think what she's getting at is the passion of her relationship ignited inside her who she really is. And now that idea is pretty similar to the way our world thinks about sex and sexuality and relationships now. Expressing yourself sexually now is to express who you really are. And unless you can express yourself sexually, you can't express who you really are. And it's in the face of ideas along these lines that God gets accused of being anti-sex, right? God won't let me express who I am sexually. God won't let me be who I really am. Therefore, God is anti-sex. God doesn't want anyone to enjoy or express themselves sexually. But the question is, is that true? Like, is that a fair claim about God? Is God really anti-sex? Does God really want to oppress people sexually? Or is there more going on? And I think you can probably guess, I think there's more going on. In fact, I think the Bible says that God wants us to have the best sex possible. And not only does God want that for us, He tells us how to have it. He prepares us for it. And that's what I want us to see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That the Bible is very pro-sex. That God is very pro-sex. That Christianity is very pro-sex. And in fact, Christians have the blueprints for the best sex possible. And so as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll see this. Well, I hope you'll see this. I've been reflecting on it this week and it's been very encouraging. It's shown me the goodness of God's plans for us. But before we get there, I want to remind us of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, Hans preached on this last week. If you missed it, jump on our Facebook page, jump online. Uh, You can find uh, a recording of it. Please listen to it. It's, It's really fantastic and it really kind of sets up the foundation of where we're going today. But let me just give you a very quick refresh 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, if you have uh, a Bible in front of you, it would be helpful to be open to this part of the Bible. Paul writes, You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. If we are to understand God's design for sex and marriage, we must understand God's design for our bodies. That is to glorify the Lord with our bodies. Our bodies aren't our own, they don't belong to us, they are God's. He has bought them. So what we do with them matters. Now, like I said, if you want to 
hear more about that, dig into that a little bit more, go back, listen to the recording from last week. But that is by way of reminder. Let's jump into the first of two things I want us to see from this passage today. We're going to see two things, then we're going to finish with the gospel. So come with me to chapter 7, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, uh, and we'll see the first thing there. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. All right? In this part of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is responding to a letter he's received from the church. They wrote him a letter, sent it, he received it. Now he's responding to them. What he's said uh, up to this point in 1 Corinthians has been about other topics. Now he's like, all right, let's talk about the letter. You sent me a letter, let me talk to you about it. And so he quotes a bit of the letter he wants to talk about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's like, this is what we're going to address right now. Now, in the original, in the Greek, instead of sexual relations, there's a euphemism, okay? Paul doesn't say sexual relations, he says to touch. Now, that's really important because when a Bible translator comes to translate uh, something in a different language into what we can read in English, they have to make lots of hard decisions. And some of those decisions are, well, how do I translate something like a saying or a euphemism or something that, you know, is very culturally specific but might not quite work in another language? And so the translator has to go, all right, Paul wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. How am I going to express that? And the translators of our Bibles, our Bibles are absolutely fantastic. 99.99% of the time, they do an amazing job. But that 0.01% of the time, they miss the mark a little bit. And I think this is one of those moments where they've missed the mark a little bit. Because what some scholars have done is they've researched that euphemism to touch. What does it mean? Does it, does it just mean sexual relations in general or is it something else? And they looked at all the uses of the euphemism and they kind of looked at what they meant in each context and what they found is it actually means a specific kind of sexual relation, a specific sex act. And so Paul is speaking about something specific here, not just sex in general. What he's speaking about is when one party seeks to satisfy themselves sexually without really any regard to who, how, why they're doing it with, only seeking to satisfy themselves. It's that kind of unilateral, it's about me, I need my desires satisfied, I'm going to do that. So in a place like first century Corinth, in a city like that, um, with lots of things going on, what would happen is the man of their household would have just incredible authority over everyone in the household. And if they wanted to satisfy their sexual desires, they could do it pretty much with almost anyone they wanted. They could go to the temple and sleep with temple prostitutes. They could take any of their slaves, both male and female slaves, and sleep with them and satisfy their sexual desires any way they saw fit. In fact, Pretty much the only person they didn't satisfy their sexual desires with was their wife because they only slept with their wife to have kids. And so it's into that kind of context that the Corinthians have asked Paul and Paul responds about. It's this practice that the Corinthians are concerned about and you know what? Paul actually agrees with the Corinthians right here. It doesn't really come across the way that it looks in our Bibles but Paul's actually saying, yes, you're right, it is not good for a man to touch a woman in the sense of satisfy their desires however they want. It is not good for that to happen. It is not good for sex to be a one-way thing. 
Instead, and this is my first point, if you have an outline, uh, you might want to fill this in. God made sex to be a mutual act. God made sex to be a mutual act between a husband and a wife. That's my first point. That's the first thing I want us to see in this passage. Now, have a look at the passage again, because with that in mind, as you read it, you see that actually Paul makes that really, really obvious and clear. He uses all this language where he repeats himself to show that sex is a mutual act between husbands and wives. Look at verse 2 and listen to how he makes it an equal thing. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to a husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent. All through the verse, he says, this for husbands, this wife. So the same thing. If it's this for husband, it's this for wife. If it's this for husband, it's this for wife. If you're going to have a break... Do it by mutual consent. In Paul's view, all of the realm of sex is done by mutual consent. It's husband and wife together. It's not one person satisfying themselves. It is about being together in it. And so sex is actually a really beautiful picture of God's creation of making male and female equal. Male and female have equal dignity, equal worth, equal rights, and we see that in God's picture of sex. But that's like all of marriage, right? If, if I was only ever thinking of my own satisfaction in my marriage relationship, then my marriage wouldn't be that great. You know, if I was the one that always chose what, where we eat out, I'd always go to like a spicy wings shop and just hate spicy food so she wouldn't be eating anything, she'd be hungry, that wouldn't be great. If I bought whatever I want without thinking about my family, that wouldn't be great. I'd have a lot more toys, but we'd have a lot less important things. If I go out with my mates whenever I want and just left Jess home with the kids. Like you can see that marriage is a mutual thing, so of course sex is a mutual thing. Marriage shouldn't just be about me satisfying myself. Sex shouldn't just be about me satisfying myself. And so sex is not firstly or even at all about self-satisfaction. It is not about what you get, but it's about caring for your spouse. It's about loving them. So sex is never something that the Bible ever says you can demand. The Bible has been twisted and turned at different points in history so that men might think they can demand sex from their wives or vice versa. But the Bible never says that. In verse 4, where it says you have authority over your spouse's body, people take that to mean I can demand sex whenever I want. No, it means you can offer up your body to your spouse. Sex is not a right that anyone can take hold of in a marriage. It is never something to demand or pressure your partner into. That is not how the Bible talks about sex at all. Instead, sex is mutual. It requires good communication. Yes, you need to talk to your spouse about sex. You, you need to speak, uh, uh, you know, how often? 
What do you like? What helps you? How can I be serving you in sex? Because God made sex to be a mutual act between husbands and wives. Never about one party satisfying themselves over another. And if sex is a mutual act, there's further implications of that, specifically around our bodies. And that's the second thing I want us to come to today. First thing, sex is a mutual act. The second thing we see in verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, I don't know about you, but I I don't know, before reading 1 Corinthians 7, if I ever thought about sex as a duty. We have a conjugal duty to our spouses, a duty that we must fulfill, not a right, we don't get to demand it, it's a duty to offer ourselves to the other. We have a duty to offer up our bodies. Now, just as a quick aside, this tells us that sex isn't simply about having kids, right? If I have a duty to offer up my body to my wife, that means that my only duty isn't just to have kids, it's to love and care for my wife. If I offer up my body to my wife, it's not simply about kids. And so we see underneath all of 1 Corinthians 7 here, there's this assumption that sex is more than just about kids. Sex is a gift about pleasure. God has given us sex and sexual desire for our pleasure. And now, given that this is a duty, that means that there's a problem if a marriage is sexless. There's a problem if a marriage is sexless. Now, there are different reasons why you might have a sexless marriage. Maybe it's um, because someone is withholding. That's a problem. Maybe it's because of a medical condition or, or various other reasons. Just because there's a problem doesn't mean that someone is particularly at fault. But that's not God's good design. The Puritans understood this. You know the Puritans, 16th, 17th century Christians in England and the States. They weren't really known for loving fun. You know, they weren't the fun-loving, carefree kind of people. They were the holiness at whatever it takes, prayer marathons all weekend kind of guys. But we actually have a record of a Puritan church in Boston who excommunicated a man. They said, you are no longer part of our church because of his sin. What was his sin? He refused to have sex with his wife for two years. So they sent that man out of their church because he wouldn't have sex. Even the fun-hating Puritans knew that sex was important in marriage. And so spouses, they have an obligation to one another because of verse 4. Come with me again to verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. What Paul is saying is that in marriage, we give ourselves, body and all, completely to the other. Our bodies are no longer our own. Now, they're no longer our own because our Lord Jesus Christ has bought them, but in marriage, we've also given them to our spouse. And that's my second point. Your body belongs to your spouse. 
Your body belongs to your spouse. And there are two practical outcomes of this. First, you can't use your body any way you want any longer. You can't just do whatever you want with your body. It is not your own. You don't have the freedom to satisfy your body any way you want. It is not your body to bring it into an adulterous relationship. It is not your body to satisfy it with pornography. That's what verse 4 is about. Not that I have rights over my wife's body, I can demand what I want. No, I don't have rights over my body. It doesn't belong to me. It's like renting a house. Jess and I rent the house we live in. It's not our house. We don't own it. We can't knock out a wall to extend our bedroom. We can't remodel the living room however we want. Sure, we can put lounge here and a rug there, but we can't do major changes. It's not our house. We don't have authority over it. We can't do renos. It's the same with your body in marriage. It is not yours to do with as you please. Now, again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that you can use your spouse's body however you want. It's about giving up your body to the other. Sex is always a mutual thing. You don't get to demand, you get to give. And the second implication follows. Don't deprive one another. That's verse 5. Verse 5 starts, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you might devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, there's a lot in that verse, I can't cover it all. The big ticket item is, don't deprive one another, except in extreme circumstances. I'm not going to talk about extreme circumstances. If you have questions, hit me up, email me. Paul says, don't deprive one another. You don't have the authority to deprive one another of your bodies. I don't get to make that decision. I don't get to withhold myself. It's like if you're playing doubles tennis, uh, you know, you and your partner are playing, and, and you just decide, you know what, I'm not going to hit the ball back. If it comes to me, I'm just going to leave it. You don't, you don't get to make that decision in doubles tennis. You've got to work together as a team. Both of you are working together. You don't get to withhold your participation unless you want to lose. No, you work together. You offer yourself up when the ball comes to you so you can hit it back. Now, again, this doesn't mean you can demand sex from your husband or wife. It's not for you to demand. This verse is about giving, not withholding, but giving. See how it's, it's always about me giving over myself and never about me demanding? Can you see how that's in the passage? The Bible is constantly twisted to say, demand. It's your right. If anyone ever says that to you, no, that's not how the Bible speaks about sex. And so what this means about marriage is that we should be less concerned about our own sexual pleasure and more about giving. Sex is about giving and it is an absolutely beautiful thing in marriages when partners give their bodies to one another. And in fact, this attitude overcomes two very common problems in marriage when it comes to sex. First, if one person in the marriage desires, wants sex more than the other... Generally speaking, this is very generally speaking, men want sex more than their wives. But if, if a partner cares more about giving than receiving, what a beautiful gift it is for you to give your body up 
for sex, even if you don't feel like it. That is a beautiful gift to give your spouse. And secondly, for some, the context of sex is really important. Now, let me, again, speak very generally. Very generally, context is more important for women than for men. For men, anytime, place, good to go, right? But for women, usually the context matters more. And I'm not just talking about candles and music stuff. I'm talking about preparing emotionally. It's the loving words throughout the day. It's the acts of service. All those things that lead up to sex itself. Where even if context doesn't matter for you as much, you can give yourself as a gift by preparing your partner, by giving them the context they need. What a beautiful way to love and serve one another. That's the picture of sex in the Bible. Giving yourself as a gift to your partner. What a beautiful picture of marriage that is, isn't it? So we're seeing that sex is a mutual thing. It's never a one-sided thing. It's a mutual thing. And because of that, uh, our bodies are not our own, but they're for our spouse. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's actually a lot more in in this whole chapter and in these verses, which, you know, we could go into if we had all day, but we don't. What I want to do is... I want to think about how we can possibly do this now. How can we possibly give ourselves up as a gift? Because the Bible makes it clear all throughout that the human heart is selfish. It is always self-loving, self-focused. It is riddled with sin. How could we ever possibly have a lifelong marriage where I continue to give myself as a gift? How is that? even possible? How can we ever achieve this biblical vision for sex? It seems impossible, if I'm really honest with just myself. But that brings me to my final point. We can give our bodies to our spouses because Jesus has given his body for us. The reason we can be freed up from our own selfishness is because Jesus was selfless on our behalf. Flick over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. You don't need to keep a finger in 1 Corinthians. Uh, We'll just stay in Mark chapter 10 for now. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A little bit of context. Who is the Son of Man? Way back in the Old Testament, a man named Daniel had a vision of heaven, a vision of glory, of the Ancient of Days, that is God sitting on his throne, surrounded by glory. So glorious that no being could dare approach the throne of the Ancient of Days, except he sees one like the Son of Man approaching the throne. That Son of Man is this glorious, divine figure. And throughout the book of Mark, Jesus starts claiming that title for himself. I am the Son of Man. I am that glorious figure. He doesn't doesn't say, I am the Son of Man. But the things he does and what he teaches shows that he 
He's teaching. He is the Son of Man. And so here when Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, he's saying, I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, that glorious divine figure, if anyone deserves to be served, it's him, God himself, King of kings, Lord of lords, deserves to be sitting on a throne all his days, yet he's born as the son of a carpenter, pretty much a peasant, poor, not much to look at. He's homeless most of his adult life, just travelling around teaching. He did not come to be served, but to serve. He gave up his life for many, for you and me, for us. He gave up his body on the cross. He died for us. Remember Rose in the Titanic and what she said? That Jack saved her in every way a person can be saved? She was absolutely wrong. He did not save her, but Jesus did. Jesus is the one who can save us in every possible way you can be saved. He's the one that saves you from sin and death, that gives you eternal life with him forever. He's the one that saves you from condemnation and he's the one that saves you from your own selfish heart. He's the one that saves you so that you can give yourself up. He heals the sickness of sin in our heart. He heals the selfishness that is at the centre of who we are so that we might give ourselves up so that we might experience sex the way God has designed for us, to give ourselves up as a gift for another. If we want to experience the best sex ever, and I don't just mean each individual time, I mean a lifetime. If we want to experience the best sex life ever, it starts with coming to Jesus, who saves us so we can give ourselves up to another. If you don't know Jesus yet as your saviour, as the one who has taken your sin from you onto himself, as the one who's faced the punishment you deserve, I encourage you, come to Jesus and be saved. If you want the best sex life ever, come to Jesus and be saved. That is the gospel heart that we see in our sex life. Give yourselves up the way Jesus gave himself up for you. Let me finish with this. Is God anti-sex? Does God want to stop people from expressing themselves sexually? No, not at all, not even a little bit. He wants you to have the best sex possible and not only does he want you to have it, he's shown you how to do it and made it possible. Without God sending his son Jesus, it would be impossible. What a great gift God has given us to enjoy And so now we can give ourselves as a gift to our spouses. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus, that even though he deserved all glory and honour and worship, he took the form of a servant and he served us by dying. Father, thank you that he makes it possible for us now to give ourselves up for our spouse so that we might enjoy the gift of sex that you have given us. Father, help us to never seek to satisfy ourselves, but to 
relate to our wives mutually in sex and to give ourselves up for our spouses. Amen.